If you have your Bibles with you today, uh, turn to the fifth chapter of Ephesians. <clears throat> I want to continue our study through Ephesians, and someday I hope to finish it. <laughs> Dan gives me a hard time about about the book of Ephesians. He asked me one time, I think it was at Passover, he said, what are you teaching on next? Never mind, never mind, let me, let me guess. <laughs> so uh, I don't try to mix it up too much. I like to like to finish what I start and... And uh, so one day I will get done, Yahweh willing, and uh, everybody in here can say that they've studied the book of Ephesians. So uh, we've done it together. But I know the last time I taught it was somewhat technical and uh, may have been a little bit exhausting, but after I taught the sermon, Matthew um, gave me a book called Simplicity in Preaching. And then McCord said to me that um, he had no idea what Christological mediation was, so I thought I'd try to simplify this sermon just a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm picking on McCord and Matthew. I know it was a hard sermon to grasp in one setting, <clears throat> but when the text of <clears throat> when the text comes up in a block of verses that you're teaching, you have to cover them. As a teacher, I can't just jump those verses and say I don't want to deal with that or it's not fun or. Hey, nobody will understand. I can't do that. So when I'm teaching it verse by verse, we cover all of them. We don't miss one. So uh, whether it's easy or hard, they must be taught, and so that's what I did. And uh, so today's sermon should be much simpler, McCord, no big words. And uh, we'll try to keep it keep it on the level back there in the back, and uh, keeping the shallow in. I'm just teasing. I'm not, I'm not including everybody in the back, just McCord, kind of in that corner. So... Uh, but anyhow, how many people uh, know that time is not something that we are guaranteed? We're not guaranteed time. And it's often taken for granted, often. I think as fallible human beings, we assume that tomorrow will automatically be here. That's just not the case. That's not the case at all. Actually, tomorrow will definitely be here, but um, you may not be around to witness it. And of course, there's always the case that tomorrow may be here, but in a completely different manner than what we expect. Life can change drastically in a matter of seconds. Over the last year, I've witnessed some pretty drastic changes in my life and in the lives of others around me, and uh, it's impacted me. And as I've been studying through the fifth chapter of Ephesians, I've uh, kind of got a different understanding or a different take on what it means to make the most of your time. So today I want to deal with that a little bit from a biblical perspective. I want to see if I can change the course of not only my daily walk, but also the congregation's daily walk as it relates to the way of life according to the Scriptures. Okay. So with that in mind, let's read in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. Starting in verse 15, it says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, <coughs> because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what Yahweh's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to the Almighty, the Father, in the name of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, submitting to one another in the fear of Yeshua. Now on the heels of what Paul has been teaching us from chapter 4 and moving forward up until now in chapter 5, 
Paul writes this in verses 15 and 16. He says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Like I said to start with, Paul had has been giving us a, our backdrop through the last several chapters of the way we should conduct ourselves and the things that we should refrain from. Okay? He's told us that we should not be proud or arrogant, but rather humble and gentle. He has told us that we shouldn't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but rather be stewards of the true gospel and members of one body united, following the ministers that have been given to us as gifts from our Lord and Savior. Okay, He has told us that we shouldn't walk as the heathens walk, but rather walk a life of purity and truth. He has warned us about our speech and our thoughts in terms of sexual immorality. He has warned us, and then lastly, he has warned us about the coming of the wrath on the disobedient. So on the heels of all that, Paul says, pay close attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. See, the world that Paul lived in, and the world the Ephesians lived in, and the world that we live in today is evil. Satan is steadily going to and fro on the earth, causing mayhem in the lives of people every day. Society is wicked today, just as it was in Paul's day, if not even worse. The days are evil. So it's our job to pay close attention then to how we walk. When Paul says how we walk, as we've discussed in the past, it's just a metaphor of how we conduct our daily lives. That's what it means to walk. In other words, how do we heed the words of our Lord and conduct ourselves the way that He did. How do we do that? Or do we just live our lives nonchalant and just go about every day as if tomorrow is another day to try and get it right? Brothers and sisters, do you view today as an opportunity to serve Yahweh? Or do you see it as a grace period to carry on with your carnal ways and see tomorrow as a day to repair things? Do you look at today that way? I mentioned a few minutes ago that in the last year or so, that I have seen many changes in my life and in the lives of other people around me that have been detrimental to me, my family, and also to others. I wonder sometimes if tomorrow is the last day or not. I don't think that we should live our life in a bubble or in fear. I don't think that's the goal. However, I do believe that we should live our lives in reverence to our Heavenly Father. Are we guaranteed tomorrow to repent and make a conscious change for the better? Obviously not. Our life is in the hands of the Maker. It's in the hands of our Father. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. The other day when Kim fell off her horse, for a little while everything kind of stopped for me. I didn't think about what we're going to eat that day. I didn't think about making money on my jobs that I had going. I didn't think about the future. And I didn't think about anything. All I could think about at the time was her. And of course, after a while, when I knew that she'd be okay, things started flooding back in. My mindset became normal again, or at least common. All right? uh, for just a little while, just a little while, I lost all thoughts about anything worldly because I was focused on her alone. I wonder if that's the way our walk with Yahweh should be. If that's the way it's supposed to be. I think it is exactly how our walk should be. 
with Yahweh. We should be focused on Him all the time. If we're to pay close attention to the way we walk and we're to do it as wise people, then maybe we should figure out exactly what His will is for us and really pay close attention to set aside our personal endeavors and concentrate on what He has in mind for us. Now, I only know one way to do that, and that's to determine His will by His Word. Okay? So, that's verse 17. It says, So don't be foolish, but understand what Yahweh's will is. Paul's been talking about a lot about foolish people, heathens, for the last few chapters. And then in comparison, he's been talking about wise people, people of light, the ones who follow Messiah. So if we are to walk wise, we should walk as children of light, not like the heathens or unwise people who are full of darkness and the lack of wisdom. If we're to go back through the if we were to go back through the gospel, gospels, and we don't and we don't have time to do that today, but we should in our own time, we need to go back and you know read through the gospels. And if we were to go back through the gospels and examine the life of the true light, the life of Messiah, we will have the perfect example of what it means to walk as wise people. Just to give you a few attributes about the Messiah, let me say this. Number one, he was bold, but he was humble. He was worthy of exaltation, but he was a servant. He was diligent, but he was compassionate. He was tempted, but he was faithful. He was persecuted, but he was strong. He was always honest. He was always full of love. Soft-spoken and always answering according to the Father's will and absolutely positively in line with the Scriptures that were written before him. Always. Always. He was the ultimate example of how wise people walk. <clears throat> now, I know these are a lot of attributes that pr- probably most of us struggle with some point in life, but this is what we are to pay close attention to and strive for. The reason for making the most of our time is so that our light will be a witness to the rest of the world and an edifying light to the body of believers. See, in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 10, Paul says we were given the gift of salvation for a reason. And that reason is for the good works that Yahweh prepared ahead of time that we should walk in. Titus chapter 3 and in verse 8 says this, it says, This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed Yahweh might be careful to devote themselves to good works. We're to pay close attention to our works. It is incredibly important. We're not to be foolish, but understand what Yahweh's will is. If everything around me stopped when Kim fell off that horse, how come everything doesn't stop when Yahweh made me a new creature? Well, it probably did for a little while. It probably did for a little while. But as time goes on, we tend to get complacent. And that's what we need to pay attention to. Let's not view today as another day to buy time to get things right. But rather, let's view today as another day to, to perfect our walk now, currently, in the present. It's important that we understand Yahweh's will and that we act on it. Every day, we need to act on it. We need to know what Yahweh demands of us, commands of us, and and requests of us. And we need to act on it every single day. Jerry said last night, how many people did something for Yahweh this week? That's That's what he asked. That's a profound question. That should be a must for us every day. Not just the week. Every day we should ask ourselves, what do we do for Yahweh today? What did I set aside for Him? How much of my time did I give to Him? When did I witness to somebody? When did, I, when did I do something for somebody else? And when did I glorify Yahweh today? Or was it all about me? Mm-hmm. 
Did I concentrate on what I had to do today or did I concentrate on what Yahweh gave me grace to do today? It should be the most important thing on our minds. What are we doing for Yahweh today? We can't just get complacent and caught up in our everyday lives and put our walk with Yahweh on the back burner. It should be the most important task of each and every day. Let's look at verse 18. It says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, by now, most of you probably already know how I feel about drinking beer and strong drink and wine. Uh, But if you don't, here goes. I am a proponent for the liberty of drinking alcohol. I am a proponent for it. I could give you multiple verses to support it, and I could also give you multiple verses that warn against the abuse of it. Just so you know, here are a few that support it. We've sung one of them tonight. Psalms 104, verses 14 through 15. It says, He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for men to cultivate, producing food from the earth, wine that makes a a man's heart glad, making his face shine with oil, and bread that sustains a man's heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 19 says, A feast is prepared for laughter, and wine makes life happy, and money is the answer of all things. Proverbs chapter 31 verses 6 through 7 says, Give beer to the one who is dying, and wine to the one whose life is bitter. Let him drink so that he can forget his poverty and remember his troubles no more. Now that is just a sample of a few verses that support it, but remember for every verse that supports it, there are two that warn against the abuse of it. Okay, And that's because people living in the flesh seem to abuse the liberty that they have. We are given certain liberties, but unfortunately people abuse them. And they turn their liberty into sin through the abuse of alcohol in this case. It works the same way with food. Yahweh talks about feasting and good food all throughout the Scripture. Okay? We all know that, but he also warns of the same, at the same time, not to be a glutton. It's just as bad. One's just as bad as the other. Everything in moderation, and I know that's cliche, but it should be our motto when it comes to our liberty. Everything in moderation. And every, everyone should understand that we can't condemn someone for exercising their liberty. Okay? But we, however, we should warn against the abuse of that liberty for our fellow brothers and sisters. And here in verse 18, Paul is warning us about the liberty of alcohol, about the abuse of a substance. Okay, He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. Notice he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. He gives you, gives you the problem and then gives you the aftermath of what, what happens when you do. There's not a contradiction with this verse. The same thing is said throughout the book of Proverbs. Paul's not, Paul's not co- contradicting anything here. We, should maintain a, we shouldn't maintain a state of drunkenness, and neither should we be reckless while influenced under a foreign substance. We should never do that. Even if, even if we choose to exercise our liberty as drinking, we shouldn't be reckless with that. This is part of being wise, people. After all, how can you be a light to the people around you if your actions are diminished by alcohol? If your if your righteous walk is distorted, then how can you be a guide and light? The question is rhetorical. You can't. That's what Paul is commanding us not to do. So, as a substitute to wine, Paul says, "Rather be filled with the Spirit." 
Now keep in mind, Paul is talking to pagan heathens who have just been converted from idolatrous practices into the true faith and into a walk into the walk of a saint. Okay? They have some baggage to get rid of and some old habits to break. And being drunk and carousing may have been some of those habits that he's that he's pinpointing. However, Paul says there is something better, guys. Try this to be filled with the Spirit. There is nothing that compares to that. Okay? But let me warn you, just the same way that there is an abuse of alcohol, there is also an abuse of misusing the spirit in the sense of a high. Okay? How many are familiar with this? Anyone in here ever heard of being slain in the spirit? Oh, yeah. Okay? I'm sure people have heard of that before. Well, it's a real thing that people do. I don't believe it's real in the sense of a legit thing, but it's. You know, something that is widely known and practiced throughout Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches across the globe. Okay, it's, it's very common. Slain, common. Slain in the spirit is a term used to describe an overwhelming spiritual encounter where one might fall out on the floor while experiencing spiritual ecstasy, if you will. Okay? It seems ridiculous to me, but it's practiced and it's often abused. I don't see anyone in the scriptures falling out when hands are laid on them when they're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I don't see anybody in the Spirit doing that. I mean, in the Scriptures doing that. And as a matter of fact, I don't see them falling out. I see them getting up. If you think about uh, Acts chapter 9, Ananias come to heal Paul, right? And in Acts chapter 9, it says, So Ananias left and entered the house. Then Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Yeshua who appeared to you, on the road that you were traveling, has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Nobody had to come cover Paul up with a sheet because he was flopping like a fish on the floor. Nobody had to put a sheet over his skirt or nothing like that or his tunic so you couldn't see up his tunic. Didn't happen. He laid his hands on Paul. Paul's eyes were cleared up. Paul got up and went and got him something to eat. No flopping. None of that. None of that gibberish. None of that stuff was going on. It doesn't say anything about Paul passing out, flopping around on the floor. None of that's mentioned. Saul just got up and ate. So the same way drinking wine is abused, so is the idea of being overcome in the Spirit. It can be abused the same way. To be honest, I believe that I have a little more confidence in a drunk than someone who falsely claims to be overwhelmed by Yahweh's Holy Spirit and falls out in convulsions. I have a little more faith in the drunk, I believe. Either way, Paul does does say in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? I think it's pretty simple. I believe Paul has been instructing us this whole time throughout Ephesians to rid ourselves of the carnal man and to replace that with spiritual things. Get rid of the old man and grow in the spiritual man, if you will. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 told us when we believed, we were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, we've been given the gift with a, of a spiritual down payment. All we have to do is exercise that gift. I know for me, as long as I do spiritual things, I'm spiritually stronger. However, when I do more worldly things, I am more fleshly. Every time. It's like we have two men living inside of us. I think Jerry made this analogy a while back. Maybe I, th- I believe it was him that made the analogy, but it stuck with me. It's like we have two men living, living inside of us. We have a spiritual nature and we have a fleshly nature. Okay, 
Whichever we feed the most, that's the one that influences our out, outward actions. Okay, if I if I've been studying all week and spending a lot of time in the scriptures and meditation and in prayer, I am usually more spiritual, and just about everything that comes from my mouth and all of my actions are super spiritual most of the time. Okay, however, if I spend if I'm spending most of my time on worldly activities, you know, worried about work, playing ball games, going to parties, and everything else in the world, and haven't concentrated on Yahweh all week, then my actions are usually very carnal and fleshly or worldly. Even though I've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, I believe that I've been given that gift. If I don't exercise that gift, it gets weak, and the flesh overrides it, and it, it rises up within me, right? So Paul says here, be filled with the, with the Spirit. And I believe that means let the Spirit be what fills you. Let it be what fills you. Don't spend your time worrying about earthly things, but rather concentrate on heavenly things that will benefit you now and later. Fleshly things benefit you now, at least in your mind. But spiritual things benefit you now and later. We're getting both out of them. So, And he goes on in verse 19 to explain what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Let's look at verse 19. It says this. It says, Speaking to one in Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music to Yahweh in your heart. How many people go around singing psalms to one another? Well, I don't typically do this. I believe the last part of this verse was intended for people like me, uh, the part that says singing and making music in your heart. So uh, maybe for some people this verse was not intended to be practiced out loud, and I think I might be one of those. So um, anyway, the intent here is to be so spiritual that all the flows from your mouth is coming from a spiritual spring. Let me give you an example. Matthew and I have been best friends for about 11 or 12 years. Uh, we have been a lot of places together, and we're pretty close brothers and friends. And uh, a lot of times we talk to one another in spiritual text, just cutting up. For, in, for instance, I, if I ask him a question, he'll answer me with a scriptural verse and vice versa. I think the reason this happens is because, one, we're nerds, and uh, two, because a lot of times we're spiritually minded. And uh, don't, give me, don't, don't take me the wrong way. Of course, it's not always that way, but a lot of times it is. A lot of times it is. When our spiritual man is strong, then he makes himself known in our speech and in our actions. And that's all Paul is saying here. If you're filled with the Spirit, your spiritual man will overflow in your speech, and you will edify and encourage people with songs, hymns and psalms. It kind of just automatically takes place. It's just kind of the way it is. Another example, I remember another example. I remember when I was um, about 23 or 24 years old. I used to um, do a lot of work on residential structures and we trimmed houses, built decks and things like that. I did a whole bunch of them for one builder. And there was always a guy that uh, or a guy that trimmed a lot of their houses and his name was Gene Miner. Uh, Jerry probably knows him. He used to be. Uh, he he said that he was some sort of a Baptist evangelist, and that's neither here nor there whether he was or not. But anyway, he was always in the spirit, or at least it seemed to me. Okay, he was always sharing the gospel with someone, or if he wasn't doing that, he was always singing old hymns or Baptist songs or something like that. You know, like sing like out of a Baptist hymnal. He was an inspiration to me then, and I still think about him now. I still think about him. He never even knew that he was inspiring me, and he still probably doesn't know it. But he was doing exactly what Paul is talking about here. And it encouraged me, and even though he didn't know what was happening, it still was an encouragement to me. 
That's why we're to, that's why we're to do what we do, folks. Let let the spiritual spring flow from your lips. It makes you a better light, and it encourages other people. Paul goes on to tell us in verse twenty. He says, "Not only in song and in hymn, but also giving thanks always for everything to Yahweh the Father in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah." So not only do we sing songs and let spiritual things flow from our lips, we also give thanks for all Yahweh's done for us, everything that He's done for us. How many people know someone like this? Every time something good happens, they lift their hands up and they say, Thank you, Father. Praise Yahweh. I know, I know a few. I'm not necessarily one of them, but I'm going to try to get better at it because I think it's something that we should do. We should recognize Him for all good things. <clears throat> the reason people are that way is because their spiritual man is thriving. It is they're on fire. They're filled with the spirit, and they're they're on fire inside. And it's a good thing. It's good that they that they do these things. How about a prayer? We all do this when we pray. We always give thanks in the name of the Son. Always, we're taught to pray that way. We're taught to pray that way. He's our mediator between us and Yahweh. So as we pray, He is our go-between. And we're done when we're done praying. We close our prayers in the name of the Son of Yahweh. Right? Paul says here to do that. Give thanks always for everything to Yahweh in the name of our Lord Yeshua. Right? Let's make that a practice. Not only are we instructed to do this for our benefit, but also for the the benefit of the ones who are watching. This week, we have our granddaughter here with us. Ava, she's staying with us. And I've been helping her pray throughout the week. And I'm... We've been working on raising our hands to Yahweh when we pray, whether it's after dinner or when we pray in general or before she goes to bed. We've been working on raising our hands when we pray. She has been a sport about it, and it does my heart good to see her little hands lifted up to her master, even though she probably doesn't realize what she's doing. Okay, She doesn't understand it all, but the Messiah says that the little children are the greatest in the kingdom. Way greater than I am. She's way greater than I am. She's the greatest in the kingdom. And I'm learning from her just as much as she's learning from me. So give thanks for everything. Take the time to make sure that he's recognized for all good things. He is the father of lights, James 1. He is the father of lights. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from him. And we're to give thanks for all of it. Now lastly, let's look at verse 21. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I struggle with this verse a little bit. It seems odd to me that Paul finishes this with submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. But I think I figured out what it means. Throughout this block of verses, we've been discovering that what Yahweh's will is for us and how He expects us to act as spiritual vessels, vessels of light. And in doing this, we should be doing this with a greater good in mind. The idea of love for one another. Okay, So when Paul says to submit to one another, I definitely think he's talking about our fellow brethren. Our brethren right? And I believe he means to submit to one another in love. In other words, none of us should be so arrogant and so tenacious that we exalt our opinions or indifferences over our love for the rest of the body. We should let love rule our lives, always setting the love of Yahweh before our eyes and carefully considering the fact that He has commanded us to love one another. That is a command to love one another. Okay, 
We are to love one another, to bear each other's burdens, and to always edify and lift each other up in times of distress and spiritual weakness. James 5 talks about praying for the sick or praying for the weak. Call for the elders of the church. Let the elders lay hands on you. Well, we're talking about a spiritual weakness there. It wasn't for a wasn't for a physical sickness that you asked for the elders to lay hands on you. It was a spiritual sickness, a spiritual weakness in the body. That's the reason you asked for the elders to lay hands on you. We're we're called to do that. We're called not only to lay hands on. That's not just for the elders. It's for the believer. The believer is called to request that prayer so that the spiritually strong might tote the burdens of the spiritually weak. That's the whole idea of James chapter 5. Okay? So let's do that. Submit to one another in love and humble ourselves to consider our brother more important, more important than ourselves. In closing, let me say this. Our walk is incredibly important. Not just to Yahweh, not just to Yahweh, but also to the other people around us. Pay close attention to how you walk. Let's not consider our liberties above our brothers and sisters. Stay sober-minded so that your spiritual man thrives and your fleshly man is suppressed. Let's lift up one another in psalms and in songs and always give praise to Yahweh in every situation, making sure that He knows we are very, very grateful for the breath that He has allowed us to take today. Folks, this is the will of our Father. Let's do our best to please Him. Alright, I don't know who's going to take prayer requests. Is it you? Jerry's going to do it? I'll pray real quick, Jerry, over the sermon, and then you you can pray. Yahweh, Father, we thank You. Thank You so much for Your love and Your compassion on us, Father. We thank You for the ones that have gone before us to to, uh, align the way that we should walk. Father, I thank You for Paul and his word to the the church in Ephesus. Father, this letter has been uh, super impactful to me and I'm sure to a lot of other people in this congregation. Father, I just pray that we're not just hearers of this word, but rather we be doers of it. Father, I pray that we take what we learn here We leave with it and we make good of it, Father, that we put it to practice, that we examine our walk daily to make sure that we are in line with what you would request that we be in line with. Father, we want to meet your requirements. And so, Father, I pray that because you are great and you are mighty, Father, I pray that you help us, that you guide us, that you set our feet on the right path and that um, we're honorable to you. Father, we know that you paid a great and ultimate sacrifice for us, Father, because we're not good enough. Yahweh, I'm thankful for your son. I'm so thankful for your son, Father. We um, we love his sacrifice and we love your plan of redemption through him. Father, I just pray that you would uh, bless us, give us strength, um, keep us doing things the way that you'd want us to do. And Father, we ask all these things through your only begotten son. Father, he's our mediator. He's our way to you. We recognize that as as uh, him being your only only son, the only one that was good enough. Father, we give you praise for that. We love you and we thank you for him and all that he's done for us. And we ask all these things in your holy son's name. Amen.